Well, I hope you had a good post-Easter week. I think the service last week was just such a joy to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus that sometimes I think in, after we come off of such a high point, there can be a little bit of a lull that exists within our spirit. Well, if that's where you find yourself this week, if you had a little bit of a, a spiritual dry spell, then the Apostle John has just the remedy for you. Uh, we're going to see once again the glories of who Jesus is as Jesus, in a sense, pulls back the curtain and gives us a glimpse into the Godhead itself. We'll be talking about the Trinity. We'll be talking about how the Father relates to the Son and the Son to the Father. Uh, We will be perhaps a bit perplexed at times. I know I was as I studied this passage. But it is a beauty beyond all measure that we find in John's gospel today. So let's give our attention to the reading of his word, John chapter 5. We're going to begin at verse 16, which is kind of the ending of the previous story. And we're going to read all the way to verse 30. This is is God's word, John 5, starting at verse 16. We'll read all the way to verse 30. This is God's word. And this was why, they, why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows, and, and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is God's word. Let's go to him now in prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for the powerful words of Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would show us life in those words and work 
life in our hearts by your Spirit. We ask you to speak, Lord God, for we, your servants, are listening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Two weeks ago, our son Jack had his last tennis match of the season. Uh, we were very proud of him. He had a great season. And uh, I am proud to announce to you that he ended with two victories over Milton High, one in singles and one in doubles. Anyway, good job, son. We're very proud of you. I have to embarrass him a little bit. Anyway, after the match, I met one of his assistant uh, coaches who I had not met before. Usually the assistant coaches don't come to all the games. So I introduced myself to Coach Rudy. I said, hey, Coach Rudy, it's Pastor Joel Trike. I am Jack Trike's dad. He looked at me. He said, I know. (laughs) He said, you look exactly like him. A similar thing happened after the Easter service last week. I was introducing myself to some friends who I hadn't seen in a number of years who were with us worshiping on Sunday morning. And I said, this is my son. And they said, you look exactly like him. (laughs) And he looks exactly like you. This week I went over to visit uh, my mom and dad's house and they have a home health care worker who I had not met before. Her name is Miss Miss Maria. She's a sweet lady. And I said, Miss Maria, I'm Maureen's son. And she said, before anything else, completely unprompted, you look exactly like your dad. Now, of course, family resemblances are not limited to fathers and sons. My wife, Kate, looks a lot like her mom, and our daughter, Lily, looks a lot like Kate. In fact, the family resemblance is so strong that Lily looks so much like her great-grandmother, also named Lily, that the two of them could practically be twins. We pull up pictures of great-grandma Lilia and our daughter Lilia, and they look almost exactly the same. Sometimes daughters look like their fathers, and sometimes sons look like their mothers. Sometimes, in fact, married people who are not technically related by blood begin to look and act and dress so much like one another that it's instantly apparent who goes with whom. This morning, Jesus is going to make some very, very shocking claims. We'll go through the specific claims one at a time, but the overall claim could be summarized like this. God is my Father, and I am God's Son. I look exactly like God, and God looks exactly like me. Verse 18, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now later we'll see how the Holy Spirit fits into all this when we get to chapter 14, but for now the focus is on the family resemblance between God the Father and God the Son. How does the Son look like the Father? How does the Father look like the Son? And if God is our Father, if we've been adopted into God's family by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, how do we start to look more and more like our Heavenly Father? If you're taking notes this morning, here's our outline. We're going to talk about five big ideas as we walk our way through this passage. The first thing we'll see is that God the Son is equal to God the Father. 
So God the Son is equal to God the Father. Second, we'll see that God the Son, though equal with God the Father, submits to God the Father. Third, we'll see that God the Son is loved by God the Father. Fourth, we'll see that God the Son is to be honored like God the Father. And last one, fifth, we'll see that someday God the Son will judge like the Father. Jesus was high and exalted, and yet he submitted to his heavenly Father's will. And because he did, God demonstrated his love for his Son by exalting him once again. This same Son, exalted, humbled, and exalted once again, will someday return to judge the living and the dead. Now, that's a lot. Uh, The late, great R.C. Sproul called this passage a very difficult passage. And he's right. It is a very difficult passage, but it's also a profoundly beautiful passage because it shows us what the Apostle John was talking about when he wrote in chapter 1, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, that's Jesus, has made him known. How does Jesus show us the Father? How does the Father show us the Son? Let's take a closer look. Our first big idea is this. God the Son is equal to God the Father. Verse 17, but Jesus answered them, my Father is working until now and I am working. That was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Now, here's the backstory in case you missed it. In the opening verses of this chapter, Jesus healed a paralyzed man. The man thought, if I could only do enough, if I could just scratch and claw my way to the pool of Bethesda when the waters are stirred, then I could be healed. Jesus, in a complete stunning reversal, came to him and said, that's not how any of this works. It's not about you doing enough to heal yourself. It's about me doing enough to heal you. And then he said to him, this beautiful summary of the work of Jesus, take up your bed and walk. Immediately immediately the man who had been paralyzed, the text tells us for 38 years, longer than some of you have been alive, stood up, took up his mat, and started to walk. The religious people who tended to find the cloud in every silver lining said, Aha! Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. And that's work. You're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. And to make matters worse, Jesus even had the temerity to tell this man to pick up his mat, essentially his stretcher, and to walk. It, it's terrible. He broke the Sabbath. It's an outrage. Ha rumph, I say. Ha rumph. (laughs) Now, it's easy to laugh at legalists, of course. And in fact, if I ever write a book, I might call it laughing at legalists. (laughs) But the Pharisees were deadly serious about this. So serious that they were seeking to kill Jesus, which they eventually did when they handed him over 
to Pontius Pilate and the Romans to be crucified. Now, that's the background of this discussion starting in verse 16. What gives you, Jesus, the right to heal people? What gives you the right, Jesus, to break our laws? Jesus' answer is stunning. He says, in essence, I am equal to God. God the Father is still working, and I'm still working. God the Father is still healing, and I'm still healing. He's my Father, I'm the Son, and as the saying goes, like Father, like Son. You see, the religious leaders were asking, how could you heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus turns it around and says, essentially, how could I not heal on the Sabbath? How could I stop being who I am on the Sabbath day? The Sabbath is for you. It's not for me. The Sabbath was designed to teach you about me. In a sense, the Sabbath is the perfect time for me to be healing people because this is a preview of what's going to happen for everyone everywhere when my kingdom comes and my will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, very radical claim. In all the other major religions and philosophies, there's a leader, Buddha or Muhammad, just to name two, and the leader tends to say, I am the teacher. I am the prophet. Follow me and I'll lead you to God. Follow me and I'll show you the path to enlightenment. Follow me and I'll make you rich. Follow me, I'll make you successful. Here are seven steps to a better marriage and a happy life. Buy my book on Amazon. Be sure to subscribe to my podcast. Like and share and be sure you turn on notifications for this video. That's not what Jesus said. He said something completely different. He said, I'm more than a teacher. I'm more than a rabbi. I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And my name is the name above every name. I'm the Son of God, the firstborn of all creation. I am equal to the Father. My Father is still working, and I am working. Do you believe that about Jesus? Do you believe that he is equal to his heavenly father? That's the claim. That is Christianity 101. Jesus is God. And that means that everything that he said was true. And it means that everything he did has everlasting eternal significance. It has global significance. It is good news, the gospel for every nation. It has universal significance. It is for rich and poor and men and women and everyone in between. It has personal significance. This is a life-altering claim, which is why the religious leaders were so angry. They didn't want their life to be altered. They didn't want to deal with a person who is claiming, I have authority given to me from above to show you the path of life. They didn't want to submit to Jesus, which is, interestingly enough, what Jesus was willing to do in order to reconcile us to God. That's the second big idea. The Son submits to the Father. 
Verse 19, so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Okay, so the Son is exalted. The Son is completely equal to the Father. They're 100% equal in every way. But now we're told the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Is that a contradiction? Is that a paradox? Is it a mystery wrapped in an enigma? Here's what Jesus is saying. Though he was exalted from all eternity, he humbled himself by entering into history. He humbled himself by becoming a human being. He humbled himself by becoming poor. He humbled himself by obeying the Ten Commandments, including the commandment to honor his father and his mother, a carpenter named Joseph and a peasant girl named Mary. He humbled himself by dying on the cross. He became a slave in order to set us free. He became obedient to the point of death to save rebel lawbreakers like us. He died like a guilty person so that we might be declared innocent. The apostle Paul puts it this way in Ephesians or Philippians chapter 2. He writes, "And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross." Now, if the first point of this sermon was Christianity 101, then this point is Christianity 201. Congratulations. You passed your exams. You are now sophomores. Okay? The Bible shows us that God exists as one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. We call this the doctrine of the Trinity. The three persons of the Trinity are related to one another, both ontologically and economically. Ontologically, there is no difference between the Father and the Son. They are, on an ontological level, 100% the same. Remember, Jesus says in John chapter 10 that I and the Father are one. Later on, he'll tell Thomas, he'll say, Thomas, How can you say, show us the Father? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That's called ontology, and it's worth 10 points in Scrabble. Personally, I think it should be worth more, but I digress. Economically, there is a difference between the Father and the Son. They play different roles within the plan of redemption. In the economy of the Trinity, the Son, though fully equal with God the Father, willingly and joyfully submits to God the Father. And again, we'll talk about the Holy Spirit's role in all of this when we get to John 16, approximately 86 weeks from now. It's a very long book. Now, the beauty of the paradox is that the son's submission to the father doesn't diminish him in any way. Just as our submission to the father 
does not diminish us in any way. Why? Here's the best explanation that I can find, so I thought I would quote it for you. Here we have one of the most practical and yet most unpopular of all Christian principles. The way up is down. The way to reign is to submit. The way to power is to serve. The way to happiness is not to seek your own happiness, but the happiness of others. The way of exaltation is humbling. The way to find your life is to lose your life. By going down in submission to the Father, Jesus went up. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He died so that we might live. By his wounds, we are healed. That's the second big idea, that though he's equal to the Father, the Son submits to the Father. And when we submit to the Father as well, we discover that the way up is the way down. And the way to glory is the path of the cross. The third big idea is this. God the Son is loved by God the Father. Verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he is doing. And greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel. Sometimes we can get so caught up in these discussions of the Trinity, how the Father relates to the Son, and how the Son relates to the Father, and how the Spirit relates to the Father and the Son, that all of this can seem somewhat abstract, perhaps a little bit academic. Maybe that's why Jesus reminds us that within the three persons of the Trinity, they are bound together by love. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Spirit is loved by the Father and the Son, even as He loves the Father and the Son. The actions of God cannot be separated from the attitudes and affections of God. Because God is love, therefore everything God does is motivated and animated by love. In fact, before love is something that God does, love is something who God is. Perhaps that's what the same Apostle John was referring to when he wrote in 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Why did God create the universe in all its vastness and complexity? Love. Why would God send his innocent son to come to earth, to live a sinless life, to die on the cross for sins that he did not commit? Love. How can we know that all of the challenges that we face, all of the sufferings that we endure, are ultimately part of God's plan, not to destroy us, but to strengthen us and redeem us and prepare us for our eternal home in heaven? How do we know? Love. How does the Holy Spirit empower us? And why does he empower us? He empowers us 
to love one another. Perhaps the greatest mystery is that God, who is love, would invite us through our union with Christ into the circle of love that has always existed between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And perhaps the greatest expression of that love is the cross, where God demonstrated his love for us by dying so that we might live. That's how much the Father loves the Son, and that's how much God loves us, His people who have been adopted into His family through faith in Jesus. He is inviting you this morning not to understand the complexities of the Trinity. He is inviting you into a relationship with the triune God. That's the goal. That's what salvation is for. Fourth big idea, God the Son is to be honored like God the Father. Verse 22, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Because God the Son demonstrated his love for us by humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, God the Father has demonstrated his love for God the Son by exalting him to the highest of the heavens. He is right now seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Because the Father honors the Son, we as his people should honor him too. We should honor him with our words. We should honor him with our actions. We should honor him with our songs. We should honor him with our prayers. We should honor him with our integrity. We should honor him with our generosity. We honor Jesus when we value the things that he values. We honor Jesus when we serve the very people that God himself came to serve orphans and widows and the weak and the powerless. We honor Jesus when we pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we answer that prayer by living as if everything that he said was in fact true and every person that we encounter is is an eternal living image bearer of the holy and mighty God. When we do that, we find that honoring and joy go hand in hand. In the words of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the the famed first question and answer, we find this truth. The question is, uh, how, what is your chief end? Why are you here? Why are you alive? And the answer is to glorify God and in so doing, to enjoy him forever. Fifth big idea, last one. Someday God the Son will judge like God the Father. Verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live For as the Father has all life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. 
Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Someday, when history ends, whether that is later today or 10,000 years from now, Jesus will come back to judge the living and the dead. If you have died before that great, glorious day, you will rise again, just like Jesus rose again from the dead on the very first Easter Sunday. And you will be asked to give an account for everything that you have ever said, Everything that you have ever done, everything that you have failed to do. Did you keep the Ten Commandments? Did you love God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind? Did you love your neighbor as yourself? Did you ever love your enemies? Did you ever pray for the guy that you didn't vote for? Did you seek to honor and serve others in Jesus' name? Were you generous? How generous were you? Are are you starting to get a little bit nervous? (laughs) Are you starting to feel the pressure of, what do we do with this? This seems like bad news. I thought the gospel was supposed to be good news. This seems to be saying, be a good person, or sooner or later, God's going to cut you down. How's that for an Easter message? That does not lead well into the kid's Easter egg hunt, does it? Is that what Jesus is saying? Now, before you answer that, you might have noticed that we skipped a verse. And we did it on purpose because it is arguably the most important verse in the whole chapter. Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into the judgment, but is passed from death to life. Will our sin condemn us on judgment day? It will unless we believe in Jesus. It will unless we receive God's grace. Do you remember what what Jesus said in John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. Judgment day is either going to be the best day of your life or it will be the worst day of your life. On Judgment Day, you're either going to be condemned or you will be saved. The key question is, do you believe in Jesus? Has he changed your heart? Has he changed your life? Do you live differently, not in order to secure his love, but in order to demonstrate your gratitude for the love that he has poured out into your life, saving you and sustaining you and keeping you every moment 
of every day. Like God the Father, Jesus was exalted above the heavens. Unlike God the Father, Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And because he did, the Father who loved him exalted him to the heavens once again from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. On that day, if you believe in Jesus, you will be glorified. If you believe in Jesus, you will be forgiven. If you live and believe in him, you will never die. You will see the Son in all of his glory. And my guess is that when you see him, you will say, you look just like your father. Let's go to God in prayer. Our great God and heavenly Father, we thank you that we don't have to wonder what you're like. We thank you, Lord, Lord God, that you have shown us your face in the person of your Son, Jesus. You have shown us your heart at the cross. You have shown us your power in the resurrection. You have shown us your wisdom in the Scriptures, which are breathed out by the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord God, that we would begin to resemble our Heavenly Father more and more, day by day, that people would look to us and say, you look just like your Father. Oh Lord, that is our prayer. We know that's a, a journey that will not end until we cross over onto the other side. But we pray that we would grow in this by the power of your grace. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.